morning. We're good. Welcome, welcome. And yes, can you believe we are very close to Christmas? We're a week out from our Christmas Eve gathering, which is going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I'm actually going to be in Lift Kids and I'm thinking of dressing up as a Christmas tree. I'm not sure, but we'll see what happens this week. Um, do you, before we get started, do you want to hear a really bad Christmas joke? Yeah, yeah awesome. All right, so what did the wise men say to Jesus as they were giving him presents? Wait, there's meh. Do you like it? You guys. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah, it takes a while to sink in, you know, frankincense, all that. I loved it. I laughed so hard when I heard that in the car, and I've just been saving that one away for a time like this. Um, so it's awesome. Um, so as Sandy mentioned, we are going to have a bake-off at the end or bake-off competition at the end um, of the gathering. So bakers, I know you've been having some questions, so I thought I'd just give you a bit of a PSA announcement. Um, so after the gathering, you have time to go grab your creation from the kitchen, if that's where you've stored it, and bring it out onto the tables in the foyer. There is a card there that you can write the name of your creation on, place it there in front of it, and then yes, there'll be some voting slips there as well. So voters, and if you've baked, obviously you can vote as well. I don't know if we should have a rule that you can't vote for yourself. What do you think? Yes? Okay, you can't vote from yourself, for yourself. Okay. All right. And you can't bribe your family either to do that, all right? Um, if they do, that's cool. That's cool. Um, but that'll all be out in the foyer afterwards. And I've been hearing there's been some competitive juices already stirring throughout the week. So I cannot wait for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, we are in a series called Yours Truly, and last week Pastor Nate spoke about how Jesus is fully God, right? The doctrine of Jesus is fully God, and it's so important for us to know that as Christians because it's one of the primary doctrines um, or things that we believe, right, as, Christmas, as Christians, as Christmases, um, as Christians, that Jesus is was fully God when he came here to earth. And today I have the much easier component to that of Jesus is fully man, right? It's kind of a bit obvious. Um, but as I was actually like researching and kind of going through different scriptures to talk about this this morning, it actually just helped me to look again at our beautiful, awesome, amazing Saviour. And that's really my prayer for you this morning, that as we couple today's Jesus is fully man with last week's Jesus is fully God, that the Holy Spirit would just reveal amazing things about who he is. And I'm believing that he's going to speak to us individually because he knows each and every one of us and where we're at. And I believe that Revelation is going to flow this morning. So, Without further ado, let's um, read out our scripture, our key scripture for this morning. It's Romans chapter 8, uh, 3 to 4, and this is the message version. I really love the message version because in my mind it sort of just tells it as it is. You don't have to cut through a lot of the older language. So let's read it. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. Went for the jugular. I love that. I'm such a like picture person and so I'm just seeing like, woo. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asks for 
for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that is truth. We thank you that there's so much we can learn about you. But God, I just pray that we would encounter you, that as we look into your word this morning, that Jesus, you would literally jump off the pages to us. And God, we just pray that you would be uh, glorified in this place, that we would leave this place different, changed according to your design, Lord, and that we would love you so much more after today. We thank you, God. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So very exciting that we have a bake-off today, but I actually have a confession to make to all of you. I am not a baker. I cannot bake at all, right? And my poor husband can testify to this, that for the last 11 or so years that we've been married, um, he's been suffering with uh, when I'm in the kitchen, right? Um, and the thing is, is that I'm, I'm a lover of chocolate. And so for all of these many years, I've been trying to bake a brownie, just a simple brownie, it doesn't have to be anything special. But like 99% of the time, and I leave the 1% because of packet mixes, 99% of the time, my brownie fails, absolutely fails. And the other week, I made, an, I made a brownie because I felt like chocolate, and um, I pulled it out of the oven, and I'm like, fail, yet again. It comes out as cake every single time. All I want is just a fudgy, chocolatey brownie, right? That's, that's all I want. That's all I want, Jesus. But yet, it always comes out as chocolate cake. And so sometimes I'll just, you know tell little lies and be like, yeah, I made chocolate cake today, rather than they were meant to be brownies. Um, And so that's kind of just been the cry of the last 11 years. But as I mentioned, I um, worked out the other week what my problem was, and it's because I substitute things, right? If you're a baker, if you've baked today, (laughs) right, common sense, right? Sometimes it it escapes me, genuinely. But um, so what was I saying? I substitute things, right? And every baker knows that baking is a science, right? Like, you've got to have certain measurements of things, otherwise it just doesn't work. And God forbid you substitute something completely different for what you need. And I'll tell you, so this, so this, this, can you see this vegetable at the back here? You know what that is? An avocado, right? So... I don't know why I jumped on this bandwagon that the whole world has been going through, but we've kind of been in this phase of putting vegetables, I know, Kira, I know, and yet next week I'm probably going to do it again, if we're honest. Um, But the world's kind of done this thing where we've decided to add more vegetables into our diet, which I'm all for, but we started getting a bit crazy about it, where we'll put vegetables into desserts, right? I'm all for zucchini loaf. My mother-in-law introduced us to it, and it's delicious. I love it. I will make it often, uh, substituting the sugar for honey, all that kind of stuff. And it actually works out really good. But um, I decided to jump on the bandwagon quite severely at one point, and I decided to make avocado chocolate brownie cookies, right? And the picture promised me this. Look at that deliciousness, right? Forget the avocado. If you just saw those cookies, you'd be like, oh, amazing, right? I'm going to give that a go. 
pretty sure the website I checked off, <laughs> you're just like in disbelief. Um, the website I checked out was my kids lick the bowl. I'm like, kids are some of the fussiest eaters, right? And so if this recipe comes from my kids lick the bowl, sure win, right? Like, what kid's going to be fooled by avocado and chocolate? It must be hidden really well. And so I proceeded to try this. And this is when um, we didn't have Sam. And so maybe that was my mistake. Like we have more refined palates and it really is meant for just children. I don't know. Um, but I proceeded to make these and all was going well. I sub you substitute the butter for avocado in this recipe, right? And so I was like, oh, okay, good. Getting rid of some of that fat, getting rid of some of the sugar. They use less sugar as well. Already it's like you know what's going to happen, right? And so I bake these, I pull them out of the oven, you wait for them to cool to room temperature, and I'm expecting the gooey fudginess that you get from using butter and sugar, right, in a cookie, um, cookie brownie, whatever it is. But I pulled it out, and again, cakey. It came out cakey, and cookies aren't meant to be like cake, right? But then I proceeded to bite into it, and there was this overwhelming, like, vegetable eggy kind of texture and flavour to it. It was gross, but I, being the human being I am, tried to, um, well, it's good for me, right? And so I'm, I'm going to like this, no matter what the cost, right? And so I'm eating, trying to, in my mind, like psychologically sort of work against the process that I'd just seen before me and, and think like, no, this is good. I can't taste the avocado. It's butter, right? It's butter. Oh, this is delicious. And then I remember Nate just taking one bite of it. I can't even remember whether I told you there was avocado in it or not beforehand, but he tasted it and he was just like, nope, and just... <laughs> Like, there was no going back to it. And so I thought, I'd try someone else. See, my dad, he's quite into health, as I am. And he's, he's the kind of Indian man, right? Get this. He will take a traditional lasagna, uh, you know, meal and make it Indian somehow, right? He puts this Indian twist on it. So you're eating, you're expecting this beautiful, traditional, Italian, cheesy, tomato-y, all those like basil and those kinds of herbs. But no, you're getting like masala flavors in there. And you're like, Dad, what on earth is this? He's like, good, isn't it? And so this is the man that I thought could, I could convince that avocado and butter, same thing. Um, and so I gave him some, and he's also that kind of dad that won't tell me outright that daughter this is a failure like <laughs> this is not good and so he he's taking a bite and he's like mmm interesting what did you put in this and and straight away I could just tell avocado should not be substituted for butter right butter is beautiful it's delicious Sugar, it's amazing. It shouldn't be substituted for maple syrup and all these other things like stevia that we have going. If you want cookies, if you want beautiful fudgy brownie cookies, just use butter and sugar, right? Do not substitute that for avocado. And I tell you that <laughs> to tell you this, and now I hope we don't have in our minds like Jesus as the stick of butter throughout this message, but... <laughs> The scripture that we just read tells us something about substitution, that the law 
was never meant to be substituted for Jesus, right? That Jesus accomplished something for us that the law could never do. The law is avocado. It was never meant to be butter. It was never meant to take the place of butter. It would never achieve the result that butter could, right? That Jesus could. And that's what I want to look at today, right? And so... Let's have a look at that scripture again, because this is where Jesus comes in, right? The law uh, was something that God had given to his people to govern, to show them here are the boundaries of how we are to live, and yet sin abounded, right? The Bible talks about how sin abounded, and if anything, the law showed people what sin was. And it says in scripture that it brought it to life in people, right? little bit counterintuitive, I think, right? It was meant to prevent us. It was meant to keep us safe and living in love with one another and with God, but it was ineffective. It was the avocado to the butter people. So in our scripture, it says, in his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. So we're going to take a look. Today really is about taking a look at Jesus and taking a look at his humanity. We're talking about how Jesus was fully man. And if you're anything like me, when I sing songs about what a beautiful name and oh my goodness, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? I I actually think about God's divinity. Is that weird? We're talking about blood. We're talking about name. We're talking about these very human things. But yet, I don't know about you, but I attribute that to Jesus's deity, his divinity. But actually, I want, I guess I just want to show us this morning that there's so much in Jesus's humanity that actually uh, gave the power for sin and death to be broken. And so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to start off super simply. We're going to look at the fact that Jesus was born. We have Luke chapter 2, the scripture that will get up on the screen. Yeah. And so it says, And she gave birth, she being Mary, to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You see, Jesus was born here on earth, just like everyone else, right? He was conceived in the womb of Mary in a woman, and he was birthed here on earth. He came to earth just like you and I. Yes, the Holy Spirit was the one, was the power behind that conception, but he entered the world like many of us. And in fact, he entered the world like maybe none of us in this room may have, but some people in our world. He entered and he was laid in a manger. He wasn't laid in a cot. He wasn't laid in a super cozy, comfy bassinet, but he was laid in a place because the family were poor. They weren't well off. They were laid in a place that essentially said, these people are not set up for life. There's, they have no name, right? And so Jesus actually came into the world less almost than us in this room. He came into this situation. And so right from the beginning, we see the humanity of Jesus at play, the circumstances that he was birthed in. Right from here, yes, he was born. Yes, he would cry. I heard this other really funny thing, like a bit of a joke on Instagram about how Mary had just rocked baby Jesus to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the fifth time that night. And then this little drummer boy appeared and started playing his drum. <laughs> how funny is that, right? <laughs> Probably didn't happen. But anyway, so the song goes. Um, but Jesus came in. He was a baby. He cried. He was hungry. All of these normal, very normal human things that sometimes we forget about, right? And so from there, he grew up. 
he, the scripture talks about, we'll get that next one on the um, screen, Luke chapter 2. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. Jesus grew up like all of us. He went through the awkward teenage stage. Puberty. Jesus went through puberty. Can you believe it? Right? He grew in wisdom. He grew spiritually. He grew relationally with people. He grew intellectually. He went through all these developmental milestones that each and every one of us went through. Very much so. And in scripture, when Jesus comes back to, so he's doing kind of like the world tour of Jesus teaching and and performing signs and wonders and healing and, and just blessing people incredibly. He comes back to his hometown and the people there can't even believe that Jesus is this person that does all these things because he was so ordinary growing up. Because they were like, who's this carpenter's son? That's how they knew him. He was this ordinary fella, right? And so he's gone through all of this. Jesus experienced the limitations of our human experience as well. If we go to the next, um, it says here, but before we get to that, we know that Jesus thirsted that he hungered, he grew tired often, he actually had to rest, right? We know that story about how Jesus in the storm, on the boat, he's sleeping probably because he's dead tired, right? Even while a storm's going. That tells you how tired he would have been, right? To be able to sleep so soundly in a storm like that. He grew tired, he thirsted, he hungered. It, the Bible even talks about how Jesus didn't always know what was going on. See, in his divinity, he had um, omniscience, right? He knew everything. He was God. But in his human mind, he was limited according to the will of God. It says here in Mark chapter 5, verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Jesus was in a crowd of people, and this lady came and touched the hem of his garment, which is a whole other thing in and of itself. We'll talk about that one day. She reached out, knowing that he had the power to heal her. And Jesus, in his human, limited mind, said, who touched me? He didn't know the person that had come, right? Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is talking to his disciples about uh, when he would next come, right, to bring all things to completion. And he was saying, guys, I actually don't know. The Son of Man does not know. Only the Father knows. And so there were things that Jesus only knew because God wanted him to know. And then there were things that he did know because he was fully divine as well. But we see that Jesus was limited in his mind, in his thoughts, right? We move on to Jesus was tempted, just like you and I. In fact, can I put forward to you, possibly tempted even worse than a lot of us. There's a scripture about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was fasting that whole time. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I feel like that's a bit of an understatement. You know, the Bible doesn't really add much emotion and description around things, right? We sort of feel that in ourselves. But you can imagine, after not eating for 40 days, you're not just hungry, you're like, food, starving, right? You would eat avocado, brownie, cookie things if you're that hungry, right? And then... 
the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was tempted in crazy ways out in the desert and he was so hungry, right? Have you ever faced temptation where you thought, I simply can't, I just can't withhold, I can't, uh, it takes everything in me not to do this sin or not to go through with this temptation, right? Jesus was there. Jesus knows how painful that can be. Jesus knows how much that can feel like suffering, even not going through with the temptation and, and um, you know, like receiving the penalty of that sin and the consequences of that. Jesus already knows how, how suffering it can feel like when we have to withhold from certain temptations in our life. He can actually empathize with us. He knows what that is like. And so this morning, if you're facing something and, and you know that it's taking every single ounce of energy for you, Jesus understands what that's like, and possibly even more so, right? A lot of us have a full tank day to day often. It was funny in the foyer this morning, a few of us were talking about how we sl- like our sleep's really bad and how there's not often a full tank there. But man, I'm doing so much better than if I was fasting 40 days, 40 nights, right? But Jesus understand what it's like to grapple with our sinful humanity. Well, for him, it wasn't sinful, but with our humanity that is tempted to sin. He actually understands the depths of that. We also know that Jesus suffered, died, and was buried, right? So we see and we talk about and we talk about a lot during Easter how he suffered for us, how he went to the cross for our sake and how the whole process of crucifixion, it's this horrible, terrible, it's this process that none of us would wish even on our, our you know, worst enemy. It's not something that we'd want for any other human being. And we see Jesus' humanity in that, in that as he was carrying his cross to the place of crucifixion, there was a man pulled out of the crowd to help him carry that cross because even at that point, after the whipping and the scourging of his flesh and after being pierced, really, from head to toe, he was tired, he was weary, he was suffering. So we see someone being pulled out of the crowd to help him with that. And that was only part way, right? We see him go to the cross. We see him having his side pierced. We see him having nails go through his hands that crown of thorns placed on his head, the humiliation that would have been there. Pastor Nate mentioned a few weeks ago how the cross, the crucifix, was meant to erase people from all of society. But it wasn't just you were here and you were gone, but you were here, you were mocked, you were humiliated, you were spat on, you were defaced, right? Jesus went through all of that, severe, severe suffering, and then ultimately death. He actually knows what it's like to be on a deathbed. He actually knows what it's like from the beginning to be born, to go throughout life with pain and suffering, and to even end life in pain and suffering. Jesus understands that, right? He was buried, just like how you and I, we're all going to be buried or cremated. All very human things, right? But he suffered a depth that we would never know. Because the thing is, at the cross, he wasn't just suffering in his body, in his flesh, but he'd taken on the sin of the world, 
this heavy, heavy weight that no one else, no one else was designed to take, but Jesus took it on. And so it wasn't just the physical pain and the physical suffering, but it was this suffering of soul. It was this suffering knowing that, and he cries out in the garden beforehand, that God, take this cup away from me. If you can, pass, help me to pass over this what I need to do next because I don't want to be separated from you. That was the hell that Jesus went through. And so when we go through sufferings in life, Jesus actually gets it, right? He gets the depths of it. He understands what it feels like. And sometimes, I know I've been guilty of this, but I will paint over all that and be like, yeah, but he was God. He was divine. He was deity at the end of the day. He knew there was victory on the other side. Yeah, but it doesn't make the suffering any easier. It doesn't make the going through the mundane, the developmental milestones, it doesn't make all of that any less human. Jesus was as human as you and I, right? He gets it. And so when we look at Jesus's life on earth, the ins and outs, all the things that he went through, we can actually see that, yeah, maybe the details were different, but he knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. He is a God who came to earth to walk in our shoes. And that is the beauty of knowing that Jesus is fully man, right? But there's power in it as well. If we put our scripture back up on the screen, sorry, Romans 8, back up on the screen. Yeah, that's great. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, went through everything, entered the disordered mess, not vicariously through other people and looking out amongst the crowd and being moved by compassion every single day and, and sort of, you know, having experienced vicarious pain. No, he, he went through it himself. He personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity. He was a struggling human just like us, in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was, by fractured human nature could never have done that. And that's the part, actually, you know what, let's go to the next slide. And this is what I want to talk about, how the law could never have done that. The law, because it was written, because it was word, because it was something void of human flesh, right? Jesus necessarily, in order to deal with sin and the power of death, had to take on flesh because this is what was corrupt, right? It was our flesh, it was our human uh, humanity that became corrupt when sin entered the world. And so law, words written, tablets of stone, Ten Commandments, these you know, hundreds of laws that the Old Testament, that we see in the Old Testament and the people of God were given, it wasn't enough because the power had to be broken in the flesh. And so that's why Jesus came donning human flesh because when he died, it was putting a stake in human sin and death, right? When Jesus' body was pierced, it was broken for us. When he was put to death, when all of uh, his blood leaked out of him, I know this is gory and a bit gross, but in that is the power. We spoke, we sang about, sorry, the blood of Jesus. It was the shedding of his blood, his human blood, that broke the power of sin and death. If Jesus had come 
only as God, which God could have done, right? He could have sent Jesus some other way. Instead of uh, birthing him through Mary, he could have just plonked him here on earth, made him appear at 30-something, done all the things that he did. But no, he chose to come in human flesh because if he hadn't, sin and death couldn't have been broken. It wouldn't have been destroyed. But it was in the flesh that it was. And so that's this beautiful gift that we get and that we get to think about and reflect on around Christmas. The fact that Jesus was born into our state meant that he could crush. And we talk about um, in Lift Kids the, um, how Jesus is the snake crusher, right? Jesus crushed the power of sin and death because he came as a man, right? Sometimes we need to stop and think about that reality, that yes, there's so much power in his divinity, in his deity, but there's so much power in him being human. In fact, it all comes undone if he had not come as a human being. And that's beautiful for us to see. And at the end of the scripture, it talks about, after all of that, when we understand that Jesus came to put sin and death to death, that we don't have to then struggle in our sin, but actually we have access to life, right? We have access to this living with the Holy Spirit in us, helping us to come out of sin and death and into life and life to the full. That's our scripture here at Lift Church. We love it, life to the full. We can actually enter out of our shackles and our chains and whatever it is that kept us bound, and we can have a life that we live in freedom and in liberty, and that's something that Jesus promises us. We are left with simply embracing what the Spirit is doing in us. And there was someone who did this, right? We talk about Jesus coming to earth as a man. I feel like the most appropriate place to go is to that occasion where he came to earth as a man. We can see in Mary this beautiful role model of embracing what the Spirit was literally doing in her. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 26 to 38, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, and we're living in his kingdom today. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You see, Mary being troubled by this appearance of an angel is fair enough, to say the least, right? Imagine having that sort of a visitation. But for her, in the culture that she lived in, it was so different to our own where, you know, like pregnancy, out of wedlock, it's kind of a normal thing these days, right? We see it happen all the time. But the thing is, in this society, Having a child out of wedlock, that was, you were outcasted from society. You were cut off from your family. 
even times you would be sent away or you would be killed, right? You'd be stoned. That was the penalty for that kind of a sin. And so Mary is kind of having this moment of, but you understand the severity of my consequences if people find out about my pregnancy, right? She's having all these thoughts go through her head. It, doesn't, it didn't just mean that Joseph, the one she was betrothed to, that that relationship would be over, that she wouldn't have him in her life anymore, but she'd be cut off from her security, from her financial security in life as well. There was so much at stake here. It was pretty much, Mary, there's a good chance here that you're going to die, Right? that everything you love is going to be stripped away from you, you're going to be rejected and outcasted by society, you're going to be alone forever, or you're just going to be flat out killed. Your life is going to end, right? And this was the gravity of the situation that Mary was faced with, yeah? And so there's this huge thing going on here. She had so much to lose, but we see Mary simply embracing what the Holy Spirit was literally doing in her, And her response was this, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. May your word to me be fulfilled. If I can get the band to come back up. You see, we might be sitting here and you might have been walking with the Lord for a long time. You may be a Christian and you may understand the ins and outs of Jesus's humanity and what that gave to us, right? He was the ultimate substitute for our sin. He took our place because he came as a man. He came in the flesh. You understand that substitution. You understand that then, because Jesus has walked in our place, that we don't just have a God who defeated sin and death, right, who we can go to, but we also have a God who empathizes with our weakness. He went through the suffering that we can find ourselves in. He went through the humiliation that sometimes we can find ourselves in. He went through the weariness and the tiredness and the seasons of being alone, right? He understands that all. So we have a God who empathizes with us and that's a beautiful thing and we can understand that, but sometimes we can get comfortable in it if we don't let that revelation, that truth flow through us, out into the community, out toward our lost loved ones. You see, Mary had to let the Spirit do her work in it. And she had to let the birth of Jesus come. She wasn't going to say, no, God, sorry, choose someone else. There was this compulsion in her that said, you know what, God, you are so good. And I'm going to trust that you have my back. I'm going to let you do what only you can do. She trusted God with her future. She had to allow that out. And I just wonder here what opportunities we would have come Christmas as we're sitting across the table from our loved ones, as we're maybe out doing some community volunteering or whatever it is, and we meet people who are lost. We meet people who deeply need to understand and deeply need to encounter this God that came to walk in our shoes to save us from sin and death but also a God who understands. You know, last week at our gift mart, I was chatting with this lady and she was sort of not really happy with something and and she started to talk about this lack in her life and how financially she wasn't well off and how she's doing it really tough. She's got nothing for her kids and her grandkids around Christmas. And she started to get very worked up about it. And she got 
kind of aggressive, to be honest, about it. And she said this thing, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. And in that moment, I thought, you know what, I don't. And that responsibility is not mine, if I'm honest. I'm all for empathy. I love giving it. I love receiving it. It's healing. It ministers to us as human beings. But I'm never to take the place of my God who walked in our shoes and paid the price for people's sin and the power of death. And so to that lady, I couldn't say, hey, look, I actually know what it's like because, yeah, honestly, I can't say that, right? But I think each and every one of us could have had that thought or maybe have said it along our lives that the people around us don't know what it's like to go through what we've gone through. Maybe you've suffered hardship. Maybe you've lost a job when you're like, God, that was literally my only income. I have nothing else to live on. Maybe you've received a diagnosis where you're like, I have kids to look after. I, I, I can't deal with this. I can't go through this. Maybe even this Christmas time, you're struggling with relationships that are broken. The thing is, is that the people around you, maybe sitting next to you in these chairs, the people in your family, they might not know what it's like and they might not be able to sympathize with you and empathize with you at that depth. But we have a God who does. And so this Christmas church, I want to put that challenge out to you, that even though you may not know how to walk in the shoes of your loved ones, that perhaps there would be opportunity to introduce them to a God who does. Where now today we've spoken about Jesus's humanity, right? I love N.T. Wright. He used to be this professor um, on a campus. I forget the name of it in the UK, but he was the chaplain at this campus. And every time he'd meet a new student coming in during the semester, They'd be like, hey, chaplain, I probably won't need much of your help and your service throughout this time. I'm not much of a religious person. And N.T. Wright would invite them in and be like, well, tell me about this God you don't believe in. And they'd spout off all these things about how God is this distant God or this God who's about a bunch of rules, this God who is harsh. He's like, funny, I don't believe in that God either. I believe in a God who came to earth, who actually understands the deep struggle of humanity, I believe in a God who is present, who is one who knows us from the inside out, who walks with us, Emmanuel, God with us, a God who came to walk with us, church. And so this Christmas, there might be some people, I might just get you to stand to your feet because we're going to pray, I think. We're going to pray for those people in a moment. But there might be people, I know in my family gatherings that there are people who don't know about this God who don't have the luxury of having their anxiety fade away in a moment with Jesus, who don't know what it's like to have somebody bigger than themselves to depend on for resources, for food, for money, whatever it is. But we do, church. If you're a Christian in this place, that's a luxury you have. So right now, I just want you to hold some people in your heart those people you know aren't walking with the Lord. Maybe they believe just like those students believe that God is a distant God, that He's like all the, you know, Greek mythological gods that we see about in movies and read about in books, that He's far off, far away. 
Maybe there are people who need to know that actually God came to earth in His Son, Jesus Christ, walked a journey much like our own, was tempted with sin just as we are, knows what it's like, the struggle it is to compete against our flesh at moments, and ultimately knows what it is to suffer in our place. I want you to think about them. We're going to pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come on our behalf. That God, you didn't set aside humanity to be just left to our own devices to try work this thing out on our own. God, you didn't abandon us, but Lord, you sent your son Jesus to be the substitute for us, the perfect substitute for us. And so God, right now, we just lift up our loved ones who are lost, who are hurting around this time. God, we pray for conversations. We pray that you would orchestrate opportunity, God, for us to just have conversations, God, to help them to know that, no, you're not this far of God who's only divine, but you walked in our shoes. You know what it's like to be a human, Jesus. And God, I just pray that you would give us the privilege of leading people to Christ over this Christmas holiday. God, over this next year, Lord, we want to see more salvations, Lord. We, we know, God, people are hurting and desperate and broken in this community of Rivervale, God, and the city of Belmont. Lord, we see it every single day as we drive to our workplaces, as we drive home. And so, God, we pray that we would get the opportunity to invite these beautiful people, Lord, to a God who knows what it's like to walk in their shoes. Lord, I thank you that you see us. I thank you that you empathise with us, Lord God. So Lord, we commit these people into your hands. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I think, church, we're going to go back into that song, Beautiful Name. Is that cool? Yeah, awesome. Let's sing about how Jesus defeated death and the grave. But let's hold those people in mind. Let's sing this song over them. Because this Christmas church, I just so sense God's going to be leading us. He's going to be stirring in people and calling them to Him so that they can be found, so that they can walk out of sin, shame, guilt, death, whatever it is that they're in, so that they can find eternal life and life to the full. Amen. Come on, let's sing these songs. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.